Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Daly and today is Friday, January 26, 2024. Almost felt like saying January 26, 2023 and we're almost a month into the new new season, <laughs> new year. And it feels like it's been a long time since uh, I've been on holiday, but it hasn't really. This, this first month of 2024 has flown by in the blink of an eye. And uh, it was another crazy week. Apologies for not getting the podcast out last night. Came home from work with a wicked migraine. All I could do was take a Tylenol, have a hot shower, jump into bed and sleep it off. Woke up this morning feeling like a million bucks. Went to work, came home ready to get the, the weekend started, get some R&R. And then I realized I got three kids, so there's not really anything as rest and relaxation on a weekend. It's almost as busy or busier than the work week, but hey. There'll be a little bit of time to relax here and there. And Sunday, NFL championships games for the the AFC and the NFC, the Chiefs and the Ravens in the AFC, and then the NFC, the Lions and the San Francisco 49ers. Still can't believe it to see the Detroit Lions in the playoffs after decades of being such a hopeless team. Great story to see them in the playoffs and in the championship game one win away from getting to the uh the, the super bowl now i'm a 49ers fan so i hope san francisco wins but still that notwithstanding great story to see the detroit the detroit lions pardon me have such a, a great year anyways before we get into the show tonight just want to give a shout out to, to magnus and the crew over at the race weekend magazine you can go and find them at the race weekend and that is r-a-c-e-w-k-n-d and uh, you can enter in our promo code at checkout to save 10% on a subscription and always also head on over to racingexclusives.com. You can check out what Tease and the crew over there have assembled in unique one-of-a-kind Formula One merch that comes with a certificate of authenticity, and they've got lots of amazing stuff. And also here, this is just a shout out, not an official show sponsor yet. Spirit Bear Coffee. Just sat down, had an amazing espresso, their Raven Blend. You can check them out at spiritbearcoffee.com. Very, very nice. Love it. Local company. First time I'm trying their beans, and I think I'm hooked. Very, very nice stuff. Anyways, let's jump into the show for tonight. Got a bunch of stories to talk about. We got some new contracts or contract extensions for some drivers. We got a new race coming up uh, shortly, another one added to the calendar. First of all, just wanted to go over some of the car launch dates that we have here for the reveals for the different teams that we're going to see for uh, their 2024 championship challengers. So the dates and everything seem to be getting firmed up more and more. And the first couple of launches are coming up very, very shortly. Like I said, today is January 26th. The first pair of launches are coming up on February 5th. So very, very soon we're going to see the launches from Williams and Kick Sauber. What a silly name that. Well, it's not that silly. There's another one that's uh, 
Well, the less said about that, uh, the better. We'll talk about that name uh, rebrand as well. Anyways, uh, Williams and uh, Sauber, they're going to relaunch, or not relaunch, they're going to launch their cars February 5th. Williams in New York, Sauber in London. Then on February 7th, we have Alpine. They've committed to that date. Location still hasn't been announced. And then February 8th, the team formerly known as Alpha Tauri, which is a team formerly known as Toro Rosso, is uh, going to launch, or they're going to launch their car Feb 8th in Las Vegas. Hey, why not have a car launch in Vegas? Uh, February 11th, we're going to see Haas launch their 2024 contender at Silverstone. A day later, we're going to see Aston Martin launch their car at uh, Silverstone. Then February 13th, Ferrari. Are going to do their unveiling and that's still to be confirmed as for a location and then on valentine's day both mercedes and mclaren they're going to launch their cars at uh, at silverstone and then finally on february 15th the 10th and final unveiling of 2024 will be red bulls uh, challenger for the world championship this year and that location is also to be confirmed so we'll see how those uh, last uh, two or three teams three teams that is that need to uh, announce when well not when but where they're going to do their their unveilings should be known uh, pretty soon anyways uh, just uh, some news uh, this week i know a lot of folks uh, that listen to this podcast uh, identify as gen dts fans that have come on board and uh, you know fallen in the love that or fall in love with formula 1 and uh, you know it's been a bit of a phenomena what uh, what we've called generation dts so we had uh, an announcement earlier this week that the Netflix Phenom, which uh, debuted way back in 2019, season six is going to drop on February 23rd. So just about three and a half weeks from now. And that's going to be in line with the last of the third and final day of preseason testing in Bahrain. And uh, we'll see how much that uh, goes. So again, that's uh, produced by Box to Box Films, and that's the one that has uh, produced the uh, award-winning documentary Senna. And uh, that one uh, used to be on Netflix. I think it is again. I have that one uh, amazingly on DVD. If you ever get a chance to watch uh, the Senna movie, definitely go uh, check it out. So it's interesting, right? Because uh, this will be the sixth season in uh, Drive to Survive. Last year, I don't know, maybe it was just... I don't know, a bit of a hang hang. Well, I mean, we're a couple of years removed from 2021. I don't know if I want to call that like a hangover. Didn't quite get into it as much as I had in previous years watching season five, which, you know, I mean, let's be fair. It was phenomenally produced. It was uh, just as good uh, as ever, but I kind of can't help but wonder if uh, the, the shine has maybe come off a little bit. You know, I, I think that we've all kind of maybe settled into it a little bit. So I was kind of wondering my lack of enthusiasm, you know, I'm still excited to, to see it come out, but I'm not really kind of chomping at the bit as I have been in previous years. So I went over to our, our Twitter page here at Scootery F1 Pod on X, threw up a poll a little while ago. So, you know, this is a fairly small sample size here. There's only several dozen responses to the poll so far. So the poll I, I, I threw up uh, before I jumped into the studio this evening was, are you excited for season six of Netflix's Drive to Survive dropping on Feb 23rd? Let us know. So the three choices I had was yes, no, and meh. So I have to be quite honest. I'm somewhere between meh and yes. So I guess, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, uh, with the, everybody that's uh, chimed in on the poll so far, we've got uh, the yes leading the way with 47%. No at 26% and the meh category at 27%. So that's kind of interesting. So 
I guess there's a little bit of ambivalence out there looking forward to seeing what they, they, they produce. I mean, certainly we're not going to have like a nail biter, like we saw with the, the, the 2021 version, even though, you know, there was shenanigans to put it mildly with the, uh, the way that that final, well, the final race, the grand finale of 2021 turned out that notwithstanding, I mean, they put together a fantastic uh, product and they always have in the, the, the previous five seasons. So I'm glad to see that I'm not really alone in the meh category, even though I'm kind of, leaning a little bit uh, towards yes. So uh, I'll leave that up there for for a day or so and check it in and see if uh, this uh, trend uh, continues and uh, if there's anything drastically di- different uh, between now and uh, the next show. We'll see where that uh, kind of uh, falls out. Kind of interesting just to, to check that out as well. All right. Can we talk about the team formerly known as Alpha Tauri, which is also the team formerly known as Toro Rosso? So they've got uh, a new name, and uh, I have to say I'm not crazy about it. So they've changed their name to Visa Cash App RB, which, um, yeah, okay. (laughs) We all know that that Formula One is driven by sponsorships and uh, things like that, and sponsors have worked their way not just to the the delivery and the, the stickers and everything that go on the side of the cars and helmets and driver's overalls and gloves and shoes and and merch and in the garage and everywhere else. Sponsorship is obviously one of the major factors that uh, that keeps uh, motorsport uh, going. It's not new, uh, unique to Formula One. It's not new, unique to NASCAR or IndyCar or Formula E or DTM or anything like that. It's uh, something we see all over the place. It's just, it's unfortunate that they had to bury the identity of that team. I mean... We we all know that this is a team that's been a feeder for Red Bull since the inception with, with Toro Rosso. It was always going to be that pipeline to get drivers from the Red Bull Academy into Red Bull. And Toro Rosso, obviously a bit of a, a play on words, you know, well, not a play on words. I mean, basically using Italian to, you know, have the same name in Italian, that is, as we have uh, for Red Bull proper in English. On the Alpha Tower rebrand a couple of years ago, I have to admit, I kind of liked it a little bit because it was different. It was their clothing line rather than the energy drinks thing. So it was a little bit more, more subtle, but you know, we, we've been fairly outspoken on this podcast in the, in the past, but it was more to do with the A and B team or the senior team and the junior team, however you want to label that thing. But, uh, to, to, to bury the name completely and well, not bury it completely, but to reduce it from either Toro Rosso or Alpha Tauri or Red Bull down just to Visa Cash App RB. You know, I, I feel sorry for Crofty and all these people that are going to be commentating on, uh, on races uh, this season, because that's, doesn't roll off the tongue <laughs> easily. And I really feel that uh, they, they should have left the branding in there somewhere, because if you look at the, uh, the, the logo, it's, uh, it's obscured. You have the visa stylized visa writing on the top. Then you have this blended logo of the Red Bull bull from their, their, their logo. And then you have the RB kind of obscured by the bull. And then underneath you have the logo and the name of cash app and underneath formula one team kind of looks like they threw it together in about five minutes, but you know, trying to hide the, the, the team name in there doesn't make it any less than what it is. And, uh, I, I feel it's a, a little bit of, you know, I think it's a shame that they let the team name get completely obscured and like, Hey, look over there kind of thing that, uh, they're trying to hide something. Anyways, 
Anyways, AlphaTauri CEO Peter Bayer said, quote, It's fantastic to reveal the new identity and to welcome new partners as we embark on the next phase of the team's F1 story. Fienza is entering a new era of racing, staying true to our roots as a hothouse for talent, but now with an even greater focus on competing for the biggest prizes in F1. We have a bold vision for the team led by myself and team principal Laurent Mikis, and having future-focused partners such as Visa and Cash App alongside us on that journey is hugely exciting, end quote. Likewise, Red Bull Technologies Chief Marketing Officer Oliver Hughes said, quote, The birth of Visa Cash App RB is a hugely significant moment. The new identity is not simply a name change. It's the start of a thrilling new journey designed to take the team to new levels of competitiveness. And that's demonstrated in the presence of one of the world's most iconic brands as the team's title partner. The team's new identity as Visa Cash App RB leans into a future in which the team charges forward towards the front of the grid every weekend. End quote. So there you go. I mean, obviously, that's going to be a big uh, injection of cash into the team. I'm glad at least to see the team is there to to do something more than just kind of show up and compete. I mean, if they've got a huge, and let's face it, Visa is a huge brand, a huge company, lots of money behind them, obviously. I mean, they're taking 18, 20% on top of whatever I'm spending <laughs> using my Visa card in, in every month. So I guess, does that make me a co-owner, part owner? I guess maybe, well, obviously not, but... I guess wishful thinking. Anyhow, they're going to bring a lot of money to the team. And, you know, they have a good lineup. They have uh, Danny Ricardo, they have uh, Yuki Sonoda. But uh, are we going to see them surge forward towards the front of the grid? It really depends. I mean, uh, obviously, they they have uh, the, the the technology there. They do have the influence uh, working with uh, Red Bull, being the parent uh, company there, AB team senior team, junior team, whatever that relationship uh, is that you want to call it. And uh, as as exciting as it would be to see another more competitive team in Formula One, I can't help but, you know, be frightened by the aspect that if they get it right, then perhaps we're going to see a dominance at the the, the front of the grid of uh, Red Bull-owned teams, either Red Bull proper or uh, whatever the new team's name is. I'm not even going to attempt to say it right now because I'm going to fall over and, and trip over myself, but you know, at least from the the point of competitiveness, uh, it would be nice to be something else. They didn't have really have a great uh, season last year. The year before, I mean, we we we've seen good moments from them. I mean, they they've won races over the years. They've had uh, drivers uh, do well, and you know, it's been hit and miss, obviously, with the drivers that they brought into the team and since they've been around. And well, I mean, that can't really. You can't really fault them for that because, I mean, we've seen every team bring drivers in. Sometimes it works, sometimes uh, it doesn't. It's not like you're lucky to find a Lewis Hamilton or a Max Verstappen or Charles Leclerc or Lando Norris, whoever it might be, kind of like fall into your lap each and every time. Sometimes uh, you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong, and, uh, you know, that's always been the purpose of Alpha Tauri. But, you know, maybe there's still going to be that uh, development team, but uh, certainly... Well, would be nice to see them do a little bit more. Uh, anyways, uh, let's uh, take a look at the next story here. Going to start into this one, talk about it uh, for a little bit uh, before we head into the the, the first uh, break. So this is a, a story from Jonathan Noble and Kent Naka over at uh, motorsport.com. Just uh, talking about the fact that uh, we're, we've seen Madrid get uh, a Formula One race now. And uh, this comes well earlier this week uh, when Formula One announced a 10-year Spanish Grand Prix contract uh, with Madrid. I have to admit before I talk about the, the you know that and also uh, you know Osaka in Japan might be another uh, city to get a Formula One race. Um, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed to hear that uh, that it's moving from Barcelona to Madrid. Barcelona is is a 
track that I have a bit of a mixed uh, relationship with. Um, I've actually been there to watch a Formula One race, and um, it was a great venue. Barcelona is a fantastic city. Absolutely, you've got to go and visit uh, Barcelona, regardless if there's a Formula One race there or not. It's just beautiful city full of culture, wonderful food, wonderful sights, all that good stuff. But uh, Barcelona itself is an interesting track because the drivers know it very, very well. And uh, they made some changes to it uh, over the years. And when I say that the, the drivers know it very well, they did preseason testing there for years. We've raced there for years. So the drivers could literally drive around this track with their eyes closed and know where all the braking points and corners uh, and the apexes and the acceleration points, all that uh, stuff. You could They could literally do it with their eyes closed. So sometimes that's led to a little bit of stale racing there, also combined to the fact that they made some changes to the track that kind of took away some of the character and uh, some of the flavor from that cat track. I never liked that chicane at the end of the track just before you came to the entrance to to, to pit lane. But over the past couple of years, we saw some uh, changes to, uh, to, I believe it was turns 9 and 10. The chicane was eliminated last year, and that, that made improvements, kind of like restore the track to the way that it used to be. And um, it made for a little bit more racing. Max Verstappen won his first race there back in 2016. Gosh, that seems like a long time ago. <laughs> and that uh, certainly was, uh, you know, basically due to the fact that uh, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton crashed very early in the race on lap one and turn three or four, whatever it was. Nico shut the door. Lewis tried to pass them. They came together. They end up in the gravel. Drama there. And then Max goes on to win his first uh, Grand Prix. And uh, even though it took a couple more years to to really get that car that was going to deliver him more and more races, it was the start of uh, great things uh, to come. Anyways, it was announced uh, earlier this week that uh, Madrid has signed a 10-year contract uh, to host the, the Spanish uh, Grand Prix after 2026. Um, that means uh, they will be on the calendar until 2025. So this is going to be a 3.4-mile, 20-corner layout, which is close to the, the city's IFEMA Exhibition Center, which is about uh, 10 miles, 16 kilometers from the city center proper, uh, but very close to the international airport, so obviously very accessible for fans, the teams, uh, etc. to get there. Not really too sure about uh, hotels and accommodations uh, close to the uh, to the circuit itself. Uh, anyways, um, apparently there's still discussions going on between Formula One and Barcelona so it's not a done deal or it's still possible that uh, Barcelona and Madrid will feature on the Formula One calendar after 2026. And uh, it's quite interesting to note that uh, that that uh, the Spanish Grand Prix has been hosted at Barcelona until or since uh, 1991. Uh, previously, it was announced that uh, they have a contract that will run until uh, the, through the 2026 uh, season, and who knows uh, after that. So either we'll have Barcelona and Madrid, or just Madrid. Either way, we're going to see Madrid as the home of the uh, the Spanish Grand Prix moving forward starting in uh, 2026. Anyways, I'm going to jump in and have a real quick uh, break right now. I want to come back. Still wanted to talk about uh, Barcelona and uh, what could be the, the situation there. I'm going to do that in just a moment. Got some quotes from uh, Stefano Domenicali, and uh, we will uh, talk about that after the break. So don't go away. I'll be right back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, 
eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the show and sticking with the Spanish Grand Prix going off to Madrid in 2026 story. Formula One CEO Stefano Domenicali was, uh, had a quote or two on the official F1 website this week uh, just talking about uh, potential to have more than one Formula One race in Spain after 2026 when they switch uh, venues. Um, anyways, it is not, would or would not at least, uh, be the first time where we saw two Formula One championship races in Spain. Uh, back in uh, 1994 and 1997, they had the European Grand Prix at Jerez and the Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona. And then in Valencia, we had a race in 2008 and 2012. Well, so it was just uh, once or twice here and there. It wasn't like there was a couple going on uh you know, parallel to one another or in the same year for a long time. But there is precedent that there have been two races in Spain in the same year in the years uh, gone by. Anyways, uh, Domenicali told the official F1 site, quote, for the avoidance of doubt and to clarify here, the fact that we are in Madrid is not excluding the fact that we could stay in Barcelona for the future. Looking ahead, there are discussions in place to see if we can really extend our collaboration with Barcelona, with whom we have a very good relationship for the future. Spain was a market that just a couple of years ago was not in the center of our eyes. And now it is important we signed a new deal with Spanish broadcaster Dazen, or I think it's the Dazon, until at least the end of 2026. It's a nice problem to have, to have multiple cities, some in the same country, waiting to host a Grand Prix. It shows value of our proposition. We need to keep focused on the reason for our success and to make sure we aren't complacent. Uh, Domenicali goes on to say, quote, it is also great news for F1 as it shows once again that there is a strong appetite around the world for our sport. It shows that at a moment where Europe is perceived to be a place that is not ready to invest in our sport, Madrid and others are showing that it is. They have presented a fascinating project, one that will be built in the next couple of years, and a project that is considering the fans and their whole experience from the travel to the whole event experience. The proposition we received from the promoter was great. Since the first day, it has been an open discussion of what this event can be. End quote. So interesting uh, to see that uh, perhaps we could have the two races running at the same time. And I kind of wonder, too, if perhaps they can't have the... 
pardon me, if they can't have a Grand Prix at uh, Barcelona every year, what about some of these other venues that uh, that have kind of dropped off the calendar completely? I'm thinking now about uh, a, a German Grand Prix at either the, the Nürburgring or Hockenheim, the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard. Okay, Paul Ricard, maybe not the, the greatest uh, circuit. What about Mugello? What about Portimao in Portugal? What about Istanbul in Turkey? What about India? What about, well, maybe Vietnam uh, might be uh, a bit of a dead issue right now. That was the race that never was, even though we were supposed to get there. But you get what I mean, right? That uh, perhaps it, maybe it might not work out uh, every year, but perhaps maybe we'll see something. that Wouldn't that be kind of cool that we have our core races? And like I said, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed for sentimental reasons to see that race uh, move away from Barcelona to Madrid. But you know, that's not to take away that Madrid uh, won't uh, do a good job or that won't be a good circuit. You know, got to give them a couple of years to get this thing uh, up and going. But it would be a shame to see Barcelona disappear from the from, from the calendar completely. And uh, we'll see what how, how that shakes out. So um, another thing that, uh, that that's interesting to, to talk about and to look at is uh, the fact that there might be something going on in Japan because there's a fellow by the name of Hiroshi Misohata, who is the uh, Osaka Tourism uh, Bureau chairman, and uh, they made uh, an announcement uh, that they really want to be a candidate city for Formula One, and a representative uh, from the Osaka Tourism uh, Bureau uh, spoke with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Jonathan Noble and Ken Tanaka and uh, had a couple of interesting things to say, quote, F1 will be the perfect catalyst for Osaka to become an international tourist city. In order for Osaka to achieve that, it is important to attract wealthy people from Europe, America, and Australia. We also believe that F1 will be the perfect catalyst for attracting luxury hotels and revitalizing the nighttime economy. I went to watch the Singapore Grand Prix and it was completely different from the uh, image I had of F1. Uh, There were live events going on and there were business meetings of luxury brands at nearby hotels. Uh, end quote. So there you go. Uh, interesting to, to hear that. And uh, it should be mentioned that uh, Osaka, not a small place. It is the third most populous uh, city in uh, Japan. And, uh, you know, as much as I'm disappointed to see Barcelona move away from, uh, or sorry, the, the, the Grand Prix move away from Barcelona to, uh, to Madrid, and who, who knows what uh, that will look like in the future, I would be really disappointed to, to see Formula One uh, leave uh, Suzuka. That's not to say that you could see two races in uh, Japan, all the way the, the 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 rate things are going, we could literally see forty eight races a year. But um, I don't want to take away anything that uh, Osaka might be doing, and the track might uh, there might be absolutely first class. But Suzuka has to be one of my all time favorite uh, Formula One tracks. It is uh, it, it's a real classic. I mean, you you come in off of the uh, the, the start finish straight, you go into turn one. You go through those uh, Suzuka S's, which uh, is a series of uh, sweeping turns that get shorter and tighter. Uh, then you go around, you've got the spoon curve, you've got the R130, just uh, a fantastic track, lots of change in elevation, seen some classic moments uh, over the years there, and that would be one I would hate to lose at uh, at all uh, at all costs. I know it all really comes down to, to rights and contracts and things that uh, different people want to do at different times, but uh, Suzuka would have to be one of the races I would have to, I, I would hate to see disappear from the formula one uh calendar so 
who knows uh, what's going on there. Just want to mention uh, something else as well. Just uh, looking at the uh, the proposed layout for the Madrid uh, circuit. So it looks like it's going to be about uh, it's going to be a combination of uh, street uh, and uh, purpose built uh, racetrack. So that's a, a unique hybrid blend that I don't think well, we've really seen too much uh, in the past. I mean, it's either uh, you know purpose built uh, street tracks or purpose-built uh, racetrack. So kind of interesting to see we're going to be using um, uh, roads and uh, built a bespoke uh, racetrack, a portion of a couple of uh, small tunnels to connect the two. So it looks like it could uh, be pretty cool. It's got an interesting uh, kind of layout. And um, I used to hate street circuits. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Monaco. I've said that on the podcast uh, many, many times. It's too short. It's too tight. It's too slow. There's no opportunities uh, for the cars to overtake, especially now over time. And there's a really cool graphic that came out uh, a couple of years ago that uh, showed over the decades just how Formula One cars had evolved to become bigger and longer and wider and heavier compared to when Formula One first uh, started up uh, way back in, in, in 1950. And the, the, the really interesting uh, comparison uh, in, that, uh, in that chart to see what cars looked in 1950 to what they looked like in 19, 2019 or 2020, whatever, whenever that graphic was put out there, was how, it, how quickly the cars got bigger and wider and longer in a fairly relatively short amount of time, say from about 2010 up to that moment. So in less than a decade, they got very wide, very long. And uh, especially around a, a track like Monaco that really never saw tons of uh, overtaking to begin with, uh, really just made that uh, even less of a likelihood with the the, the bigger and wider cars as uh, that went on. So, like I say, I, I never used to be a big fan of the street circuits, but uh, I, I've really come to like the ones that, apart from Monaco, that we have on the, tra- on, the on the circuit now, uh, like Singapore. I like Baku. Baku is kind of a crazy circuit uh, because it's so long and it's uh, got some pretty wide sections to it. And Vegas was a real surprise as well. Uh, I, I guess that Albert Park in Australia is another one of these kind of interesting uh, kind of uh, circuits as well that... I guess you could call that one a bit of a hybrid circuit as well, because you've got a street, you've got some racetrack built in there as well. So maybe uh, Madrid isn't completely unique in that uh, that way, but uh, it looks like it'll be uh, quite wild uh, to see what that one's like. And of course, uh, you know, we've got Jeddah as well in Saudi Arabia. So plenty of street circuits uh, out there. So the uh, the designer for the the Madrid uh, circuit uh, has promised to make a, a banked uh, corner the the steepest out there. So that is the one that is uh, you know that uh, record uh, kind of goes to uh, to Zanfort at um, at the moment. Turn three there has a nineteen degree camber to it. So uh, Madrid wants a, a corner that's going to measure thirty degrees in the banking, which is uh, even steeper than the old Monza layout and. If you watch the Italian Grand Prix, which is currently held at uh, at Monza, you can see old sections of the banking in the uh, you know away from the modern Formula One circuit, and it's steep. And I mean, you can find plenty of uh, historic photos seeing the banking, and uh, also just outside of London, the in, in Surrey, there is a, uh, in a in a town called Weybridge, is the old Brooklyn circuit, which I think uh went offline even before world war ii and there's that was also like a big banked oval and there is a, a museum there uh at brooklyn's and uh, there there is a, a a section of the historic track there and you can kind of walk up or at least you could uh, i mean it's been many years since i've been there you could kind of walk up that uh, that that steeped banking section from the bottom of the track to the top or attempt to and i'm not sure what the what the banking is the angle is on that but it's steep 
and 30 degrees at uh, Madrid, that would be very, very uh, steep as well. So the uh, designer, uh, Jarno Zafelli, uh, said that the banking would be like the focal point or what he called the star of the circuit. And uh, he, he feels that, uh, that it won't be too hard to construct. It'll just be a part of the... Uh, part of the deal. Anyways, uh, Zafeli had to say, quote, uh, they will be easier than retouching the current one, removing the, the centers, crossing roundabouts and grading streets and resurfacing other touch-ups. We do not want to repeat elements of other circuits. Madrid will have its own personality and the uh, elements and areas that it needs. We haven't copied anyone and it should be ready by June 2026. End quote. Well, there you go. I, I mean, uh, that that is a long, well, not really a long, a fairly short amount of time when you think about it. Uh, that's a, a fairly ambitious project to, to get that uh, that new circuit built, all the pit facilities, etc. in just over two years' time. But, uh, you know, if they're determined enough and have a good uh, contract in there to, to, to do all the work than uh, easily achievable. I know a couple of years ago, there was uh, certainly some uh, nail biting and uh, so a lot of uh, speculation going on at the time as to uh, whether or not uh, the, the, the folks in Saudi Arabia would uh, be able to get uh, Jetta online and get that ready uh, for the um, uh, for the uh, for, for the inaugural race there. And they certainly did. So good for them. Uh, Madrid obviously has a little bit over two years to, to get it done. And uh, there's no reason to suggest that they won't. I mean, they have to. I mean, <laughs> if they've got the, the the rights to have the Grand Prix there, host the Spanish Grand Prix for 10 years, they got to get it done uh, in time. Or else I'm sure there would be some fairly significant uh, penalties uh, that they would have to incur on uh, on their side. So now we're going to move into some more fun news. And we've got a couple of uh, driver contract uh, extensions uh, to talk about. So the, the first one and... I don't know if uh, it's necessarily the biggest one. Uh, they're both uh, big, uh, big announcements uh, for for both drivers and for both teams. But we're going to start with uh, Charles Leclerc, who has announced uh, that he's got a new uh, contract extension that will take him uh, beyond the 2024 season, which hopefully. That would be the whole point of uh, signing a contract uh, extension. Uh, Leclerc commented, quote, I'm very pleased to know that I'll be wearing the Scuderia Ferrari race suit for several more seasons to come. And uh, in the announcement, he also said, quote, to race for this team has been my dream since I was three years old. I used to watch the Monaco Grand Prix from the window of a friend's apartment at Saint-Avot, and I would always look out for the red cars. This team is my second family ever since I joined the Ferrari Driver Academy in 2016, and we have achieved a lot together, fighting through thick and thin over the past five years. However, I believe the best is yet to come, and I can't wait for the season to start and to to make further progress and be competitive at every race. My dream remains that of winning the World Championship with Ferrari, and I'm sure that in the years ahead, we will enjoy great times together and make our fans happy. And quote, and a team principal, Fred Vasseur, said, quote, Charles's bond to the Scuderia goes beyond that of just a driver and a team, and he has part of, uh, been a part of the family for eight years now, dating back at a time before he first sported the Prancing Horse emblem on his race suit. His values and those of our team are intertwined, so it was a natural for us to be in agreement on extending our collaboration. We know uh, him for his incessant desire to push himself to the limit, and we appreciate his extraordinary abilities when it comes to fighting and overtaking in a race. We are determined to give Charles a winning car, and I know that his determination and commitment are elements that make a difference in helping us reach our goals. End quote. So there you go. So uh, this will be Charles's sixth season with Ferrari starting uh, this year in 2024. Uh, he'll partner again with uh, Carlos Sainz, who is uh, under contract with uh, Ferrari until the end of uh, this season 
as well. So there you go. Very, very interesting. So nothing really around that, uh, but uh, I found another story here on a website called thesportsrush.com. This is a story uh, written by Vidit, pardon me, Vidit Dawan. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Titles, $100 billion social media giant showers love on Charles Leclerc after $54 million mega Ferrari deal. And uh, the opening uh, paragraph here in Vidit's story is, uh, quote, Charles Leclerc has gathered all the limelight over the last day after he announced his blockbuster $54 million contract extension with Ferrari. The attention surrounding the Monegasque has been high so far. Even the official handle of a $100 billion social media giant Instagram replied to his contract extension post. So that is uh, very, very <laughs> cool to see that uh, that that Instagram quoted or or replied to, to Charles's uh, uh, post. And you can actually see it if you go on to um, go on to Instagram that uh, Charles has made the the announcement. And uh, one of the replies is from at Instagram. Congrats from your biggest fan, and it's got the flame emoji and the heart hand uh, emoji. So that is uh, actually very, very cool because very uh, often that uh, that you see something uh, like that from uh, from an official account from a social media platform uh, like that. So very cool. So that's uh, interesting to to see that Charles has uh, you know committed to stay with the team. And where else would he really go? I mean, uh, it would be unlikely that he would ever go to Red Bull. But, you know, we, we talked about that last week about the, you know, the fact that Red Bull had been kind of poking around and talking to Lando Norris and you would have that uh, potential of having a Lando Norris, Max Verstappen partnership. Should, pardon me, should that ever come to pass, which it would be unlikely that it ever would. Uh, you know, as I'd said last week, that uh, you really need a Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas situation at uh, at Red Bull, where Max is going to win all the races, he's going to get the championships, the other driver is going to be there, going to be consistent, going to help them win a, a constructors' championship going to win some races in their own right uh, whenever that happens, but never be an out-and-out uh, contender to challenge uh, Max uh, directly for the World Championship. So that's why I I would never expect to see a Charles Leclerc or Lando Norris or anyone like that partner uh, Max Verstappen. And, you know, same story if you look at uh, Mercedes or even McLaren. So the thing is that you know it it kind of forces do you even want to say that uh, that uh, that that gives the advantage to ferrari sort of maybe not really i don't know it, it it's an interesting dynamic to to think who has the, the 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 higher ground there i mean charles can say you know build me a better car i'm going to walk when you know it's is is that a bluff is that realistic and I, I think that uh, that both parties kind of have to realize that uh, and, and be realistic that they they have to work together and and build an, a package or a car that's uh, going to be a contender. I mean, I know that's a lot easier said than done. Uh, you know, it's it's not a simple task to go out there and build a a winning Formula One car. But you know, it, where I think it does get interesting though is uh, with uh, with Charles's teammate. Let's say for a fact that uh, you know that uh, they get a contending car. And or or not even though I mean Ferrari is a team that uh, that everybody wants to race to or used to be, and uh, the, the the big question becomes then what happens to Carlos Sainz after the end of this uh, the this season? As I just mentioned in that uh, article, that uh, that uh, Sainz is under contract until the end of uh, this year, end of twenty twenty four. You know we might hear something. Who knows when we might hear something? I mean. 
typically the silly season when it comes to driver contracts really kind of ramps up in the summer when we get to mid-season. And uh, sometimes it becomes a bit of a non-issue when the driver and the team just announce that uh, there's a new deal and there's no more to it than that. So who knows, right? But uh, the, the the big question, I think, uh, becomes now, uh, you'll focus on to, maybe not the big question, but the focus does now um, you know, switch to, to Carlos Sainz and potentially does he stay with the team? And then if not, who else uh, potentially could uh, slide in there? And of course, all eyes are going to be on Ferrari to begin with. Uh, you know, we, we've seen a couple of years where they haven't been the greatest, haven't been you know, the, uh, <laughs> haven't been a lot of things, but where it does get interesting is that now Fred Vasseur, the team principal has been there for just over a year. And of course, Mattia Bonato's footprints will be, or fingerprints, whatever you want to call it, will be all over this team for a little while yet until it, uh, it out and out becomes uh, Fred Vasseur's team. I mean, at least in, in name on paper, but I mean, a lot of the things that, uh, that the, the team was working on under uh, Bonato that will carry forward for, for a period of time. Um, certainly, I mean, Vasseur arriving in the middle of the off season last year, not a lot he really could have done in that short amount of time, because when you get to, to the winter months towards the, um, you know, the start of the season, I mean, a lot of development has gone into the car. I mean, a, a lot of the, the decisions going into the design and build of that car would have been made before Vasseur got there and then moving into his first season and then taking over and then underseeing the, or overseeing the development of this car for 2024, you you know, there would be a lot of things that are developed, a lot of initiatives that are developed and implemented under his watch, but also there has to be some sort of carryover from the Mattia Bonato years as well until, you know, are you really going to kind of throw everything out and start from scratch? Not too likely. I mean, you're going to stick with what works and improve in the areas that you don't. And of course, the you know the the huge, the massive question that everybody's going to ask is that once it's all done and this car is built, is it competitive? Is it fast? And then, of course, you know, w- once we see what Ferrari can do on their own, we're going to be looking at you know the times that they're going to be putting up in testing which are not always indicative of what uh, what is going on it sometimes uh, obviously is uh, becomes a scenario in preseason testing they're throwing up numbers and everybody oh look at the times that max put up or look at the times that charles put up and or look at the times that max and Checo are putting up and they're going to blow away uh, the, the rest of the pack this year or maybe you have like some extremely fast times from from lewis and george russell at mercedes and it's like oh here we go uh, mercedes is back they're going to be uh, the contender for red bull this year you never really know in in, in winter testing you won't even really know for the first couple of races where they kind of really match up against uh, one another but they, they've been in the doldrums for a little while and and a lot of the problems they have have been self-inflicted, especially when it's come to like strategy calls and decisions made on the the, the pit wall. And it, it almost, you know, it almost becomes sort of comical at, at, at times. Not comical if you're one of the Tifosi, one of the Ferrari's fans. I mean, at that time, you've got to be howling with frustration at uh, some of the bizarre and illogical decisions that uh, that the team has made during the middle of the race or when it's come down to reliability issues or just uh, silly decisions and errors that the drivers in the car have made that have, you know, put them out of races and things like that. But, uh, you know, I have to admit, uh, you know, I'm a Ferrari person. I love Ferrari, have done for a long time. I know I said that I've said many times that growing up, I've been a huge fan of Williams and I always have a soft spot for them. But 
Ferrari's just one of those teams and, and, and like millions of other people, whenever I see one of those beautiful scarlet red cars, pull it onto the track, you know, there, there really is nothing like a Ferrari and, uh, it, it certainly is. It, it's frustrating. It really is frustrating to watch them, you know, suffer at their own hands. I mean, it's one thing to design and build a car that you think is uh, is great and do everything right, make the right strategy calls before a race, make the right calls during the heat of the moment in, in the race itself when you have to pivot when something isn't working or something happens to one of the teams or the other, one of the cars that uh, you're racing against. And you have to uh, you, you have to make a, a decision on the fly there, and they, they don't do it right. They make the wrong call when you're sitting there. I feel like, hey, there's millions of us sitting at home, and we didn't expect you guys to do that. <laughs> so why did that actually happen? And that's been one of the uh, the, the the frustrating things about uh, Ferrari. Anyways, kind of went off on a bit of a tangent there, but uh, congrats to to Charles Leclerc. $54 million contract that's going to keep him at Ferrari for many, many more years to come. And I wonder where they got uh, that that number from, because as we've talked about before, they're not really very forthcoming when it comes to driver salaries in Formula One. It's it's very different to North American uh, sports. If you're a contract for an NFL player, an NBA player, whatever it is, it's, it's always terms and money. It's like $100 million, eight-year contract or or whatever it is plus the option, et cetera. And we never really hear about that in uh, in Formula One at all. Anyways, time for another break. Be back in just a moment. We're going to talk about Lando Norris and uh, the fact that he's got himself a brand new contract extension that will keep him at McLaren. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So please don't go away. Be back after a short pause to hear a message from our sponsors. So please don't go away. Welcome back to the podcast and uh, just uh, going back to the uh, the poll that we got running up on X at the moment, uh, just asking about, uh, are you excited for Netflix's Drive to Survive dropping on February 21st, pardon me, uh, 23rd, and that's uh, season six of uh, DTS. So an update on the poll, uh, I've had uh, several more dozen people weigh in. We're up to stabilizing a little bit, uh, 43% yes, 29% no, and 28% meh. So it's starting to, to stabilize. So still more of you are excited uh, for uh, season six of Drive to Survive, 20% of you are kind of meh. I'm kind of in that uh, category myself and uh, 29% uh, no. So we'll see how that uh, continues to play out. And I guess we'll do it again next year as well To if there's a season seven, of course. I guess that largely depends on uh, on the numbers of, uh, of folks that watch it uh, this year on uh, on Netflix. I guess that's uh, really de- determines in the long run what happens to, to drive to, to to survive. If the numbers eventually crater, then there's going to be no uh, no point in, in, in them uh, renewing it and re-upping it. So I wanted to, to come to that. I uh, wanted to stay relevant and fun and exciting and uh, enjoyable to watch. So see how that goes. Anyways, I want to talk about Lando Norris. He's also signed a contract uh, extension. He signed uh, a deal, uh, another deal, uh, back in 2022 that was uh, supposed to run out the end of 2025. And it kind of looked like he might be an obvious target for teams like Red Bull. Uh, we talked about last week on the pod that um, they've been in contact with Lando over the years uh, for for quite a you know you know several times as far as uh, we know. 
and even Audi. I mean, uh, we, we've got F1 Kick Sauber or whatever they've called now. They used to be Alfa Romeo, which was always Sauber, just with an Alfa Romeo badge on the side. Uh, anyways, they're, they're going through a transition. They're going to become the Audi works team starting in 2026. You got to think a, a driver of the, the, the caliber of Lando Norris would be very attractive, uh, for Audi. And you got to think for a lot of drivers, that's going to be an attractive, uh, place to go and drive for. And of course, you know, it really depends on the, the, the car that Audi's able to, are going to be able to put on the track in 2026 and whether or not it's going to be competitive or not. And logic will sort of says to me, at least that when it comes to a new car on the track, that it, it might take them a little bit of time to get it right, but still it's Audi. I mean, this is a, a big brand and already I'm uh, digressing here. <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, last week we were talking about, uh, the, the, the possibility of, uh, Lando maybe going to, to, to Red Bull, which I dismissed kind of like out and out. Uh, there were a couple of quotes last week from McLaren CEO, Zach Brown, who basically said, you know, things are going well, uh, between us. He's not going to be leaving here is basically, uh, what he said, not to put any words in Zach's mouth. Uh, not that I have any sort of that influence. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there was uh, a quote from uh, from Zach Brown talking about uh, Lando's now confirmed multi-year extension and Brown had the following to say, quote, a multi-year extension goes well beyond his current contract. Uh, so short but sweet and they haven't specified they haven't come out as you know we always hear there's there's no uh th there's no confirmation on term or the the uh, the amount but it's believed that uh, this uh, extension will run for at least two years till the end of 2027 and uh, maybe some uh, options uh, beyond that i mean by the time you get to that end of that 2027 season Lando will have been in this and and uh, potential option years on that could take him to to pretty much uh, you know a decade with McLaren, which is kind of like amazing uh, to, to to think. Anyways, uh, Lando himself had to say, "quote It's a great feeling to be here, sitting in Papaya. I've grown up with McLaren, and I feel at home here. The team are like a family to me. The journey so far has been exciting. We've had ups and downs, but last season showed our desire to get back to competing at the front of the grid. The work that Zach, Andrea, and the whole team have put in over the last year has been incredible, and I'm confident and challenging for wins with this McLaren. I'm excited to create more amazing memories and continue working hard with every everyone at MTC for the next." a few years uh end quote so there you go i think that's an exciting uh, uh pairing that they have at mclaren lando norris oscar piastri lando now is now is is a known quantity in in formula one and i think the the whole fact that he's come close to winning races but hasn't quite done it yet uh, really is a testament that he hasn't quite always had the car to do it. I know Ricardo won at uh, Monza a couple of years ago, and I know that um, that Lando must be kind of ruining that. That didn't quite work out for him. I think there was uh, definitely uh, maybe uh, some team orders uh, situations, uh, you know, going on at uh, at that time. He's had you know his fair haul of uh, of podium finishes in Formula One. And I, I always go back to that race at Paul Ricard a number of years ago. It might have been in Lando's uh, rookie season where. The hydraulics were failing or had failed on the car, and yet this uh, this young driver was still able to fight and was stay able to kind of hang on. He was he was running in the points at the time, and he was getting uh you know getting to the point where he was getting gobbled up uh, by cars behind him. I wouldn't say gobbled up because that kind of makes it uh, or suggests uh, at least a little bit that uh, it you know he was getting overtaken and, and passed by cars fairly uh, quickly, and that wasn't necessarily the case, but. 
He certainly fought hard. He did lose some places because of the mechanical issues that uh, that he was having. And um, he managed to hold on and still get a pretty decent result. Don't have that result in front of me. I'm mean, sure you can just uh, Google it and go check it out. But he managed the, the, the result that he got, I believe, in the low points paying uh, positions on that Sunday afternoon at Paul Ricard really kind of told me a lot about the character of Lando Norris. And I thought, this guy is a fighter. He's not going to give up. And I was really impressed by that. I was I was impressed with what we'd seen from, from Lando anyways, uh, you know, even when he got into the car and started uh, you know racing for McLaren and uh, that that really kind of for me answered any kind of I wouldn't even say lingering doubts but uh, any questions I might have had to the fortitude and the desire and the de- uh, determination of uh, Lando Norris he's just gone on to to impress uh, you know a- a- ever since and I, I I've said for a long time when it comes to Lando it's a question of not if but when he'll win a race and certainly with the revival that we saw in this team last year, uh, when they got those upgrades, the improvements on that car at the Austrian Grand Prix at the beginning of July, that it was it was night and day. They were the the only team in um, the, the latter half of the season to to come anywhere closer or close to Red Bull in terms of speed. They gained an insane amount of uh, time on the track. I, I believe it was almost a second, which is you know like a light year, literally a light year. Uh, worth of improvements in a in a very very short amount of time. When you look back at the start of last season, it looked like it was going to be very very bleak, especially after the fast first couple of races, in that first quarter or third of the season. Nothing really to 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 write home about. Uh, you know, there there were a few glimmers, and that's all they really were at the time. They they were just glimmers that uh, there there might be something to that car, but. It it didn't look good, and then they get the 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 upgrades on it. First Lando, then Oscar Piastri, and all of a sudden we see Lando doing what we're kind of getting used to seeing from him, or we're used to seeing from him over the last number of years. And then even uh, Oscar Piastri went on to to do some pretty impressive things in the rest of the season as well. So uh, McLaren team principal Andrea Stella said about uh, Lando's new uh, contract extension quote. This reflects the commitment and the confidence we have together with our shared ambition to ultimately win championships again in the future. Lando has grown as a driver and as a person since he initially joined McLaren in 2017. He impressed last season, playing an important role in our progress throughout the year, securing seven podiums with fa- many fantastic drives. Alongside Oscar, our most exciting driver pairing will play an instrumental part in our objective to move towards the front of the grid. They have impressed in their first season together, and I'm looking forward to continuing the hard work with the both of them on this exciting journey, end quote. So there was an additional quote I found from Zach Brown, and Zach had to say, quote, I'm delighted that we're continuing our relationship with Lando for multiple years to come. I love the vagueness in that, I really do. Just be specific, Zach. (laughs) Anyways, Brown went on to say, quote, it's been a fantastic journey over the last six years and he has shown fantastic commitment and desire to push the team forward and get McLaren back to the front of the grid and quote certainly I think that is a very dynamic and very exciting uh, uh, pairing to see at uh, McLaren with Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri all right, one more story before we jump into the mailbag and answer a couple of tweets. Uh, this last one here, uh, good news if you're a Lewis Hamilton and a Mercedes fan, because uh, apparently, according to uh, James Allison, Lewis's compulsive need to win is fully intact. 
And uh, Lewis uh, certainly, uh, you know, strikes me as a person that uh, goes all in. I, I don't think that Lewis Hamilton would be the kind of person to kind of just phone it in and do whatever. I think that Lewis goes out there to win races and championships every time he puts his helmet on and jumps uh, in the car. Anyways, James Allison uh, at uh, Mercedes had to say, quote, um, I think you'd struggle to find a driver anywhere in the grid that wasn't motivated. I think that sort of comes with the territory with them. And generally speaking, the more successful the driver have been, the more sort of an inescapable that compulsive need to win is. In Lewis's case, it's just a core part of who he is, so there's no doubt about his motivation to get back to winning ways, but whether or not he can do that will be much more in the hands of the equipment we've given him than his own hands. He's always had the ability there. Um, uh, moving on, uh, Allison had to say both drivers, the role over the winter is largely to look after their physical condition, make sure that they're mentally prepared and just stay in touch with us about our successes and failures as we are going through the hoops of getting the cars uh, specified, built, tested, and ready for them. It isn't really a part of the year where they kind of uh, have other than an observing role and with what we're doing. Once the car is running and once the car is talking to us, the person that is the interpreter is the driver and their voices start to have much greater weight. So over the winter, it's just getting themselves ready for the new challenge, end quote. So there you go. According to a Mercedes technical director, uh, James Allison, that uh, Lewis's uh, motivation and compulsive need to win completely intact. Okay, it's time to jump into the mailbag now. So let's take a look and see what we have. Okay, so the first one comes from Luis L.R. Couet on, uh, on X. And the question is, time for a reshuffling of the driver pairs. If you could choose your ideal driver pairing for each team, what would they be? As a fun follow-up, what would be the final standings and who wins the driver's championship in this scenario? Oh boy. Um, ideal driver pairing for each team. What would they be? Okay. Well, let's look at things uh, at least uh, right now. So Red Bull, we got Verstappen and Perez, Mercedes, Hamilton and Russell, uh, Ferrari, you have uh, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, McLaren, uh, Norris and Piastri, Aston Martin, Fernando and Lance Stroll. Alpine, Esteban Ocon, and uh, Pierre Gasly. Williams is uh, Logan Sargent and Alex Albon and uh, Alpha Tauri, or whatever that complicated Visa Cash App RB F1 team or whatever the heck it is. Uh, Ricardo, Ricardo, pardon me, and Sunoda. And then finally, the stake F1 Sauber team, uh, Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yu. So, wow, that's great, right? Um, and, you know, I should just put the caveat out there that when it comes to fantasy and and choosing drivers and teams and things like that, I'm absolutely horrible. So Red Bull, what would be the ideal driver pairing? I think uh, obviously Max, you stick with Max, don't want to change that at all. Who would be the, who would be a good driver to put alongside him that's going to, to get a lot of points? You know, We've talked ad nauseum about uh, the, the, the fact uh, that, that Sergio Perez had a lot of struggles last year. I mean, they still won the Constructors' uh, Championship, but uh, Sergio certainly didn't, uh, you know, make that. I mean, they, they won it by a long way, but uh, Sergio didn't uh, do it in the most uh, stylish way, left a lot of points uh, out on the table. It was still a dominant win, but I don't think he's going to be the one uh, moving forward. I don't want to put like a, uh, a Lewis or a Leclerc or a Lando or definitely not a Fernando Alonso next uh, to Max uh, Verstappen. That would just, uh, you know, Fernando and Max in the same team. I just see fireworks there. 
Um, Esteban Ocon, that wouldn't work because uh, Esteban and uh, Max had a coming together in Brazil a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, Esteban trying to unlap himself. They came together. They go out of the race. Max you know, very upset afterwards, uh, you know, pushed him around and, um, you know, <laughs> it was a bit of an interesting, uh, kind of, uh, thing. We don't really see shoving and pushing and fisticuffs and formula and all that, uh, that often Danny Ricardo. I mean, that pairing didn't work once, at least, uh, not for Danny Ricardo. I mean, he was winning uh, races here and there scoring podiums, decided he didn't want to be in Max's shadow. So he went up to Renault. Then eventually Renault became Alpine. They went to uh, McLaren. Then he was out of Formula One, and then thankfully for Danny Ricardo, Nick DeFries was terrible in Formula One. He gets his uh, gets his uh, marching orders, and then uh, Ricardo goes back with Alpha Tauri. Um, I mean, we saw some good stuff from Danny Ricardo last season. Absolutely. I mean, uh, after being out of the car for a little while, and he had to rediscover his mojo. It was interesting hearing some of the quotes from from people like uh, uh, Christian Horner, team principal of Red Bull, about uh, Danny Rick that uh, he picked up some bad habits in his time away from from Red Bull. You know, he wasn't always as fast or as good as uh, as Yuki Sonoda, but he had some good uh, good performances, no doubt about it. Uh, whether or not. Uh, he would. I'm sure he would love to go back to to, to to Red Bull, and I'm sure he would be a consistent driver. I mean, getting half a season and then breaking his hand at Zandvoort the way he did, then missing a couple more races, there's going to be a little bit of a struggle for him down the stretch run, just the fact that even though his his hand had healed uh, good enough to get back in the car, you have to think that there must have been some some lingering problems there. Yuki Sonoda, that's an interesting one. Uh, Yuki... A little bit kind of hot and cold here in his first couple of seasons in Formula One. I think we did see a marked improvement uh, from from him. Whether or not I would put him in the uh, the, the same team as uh, Max Verstappen, but uh, how about this? What what about Carlos Sainz? Why why not put Carlos Sainz move him from Ferrari to Red Bull? I mean, Carlos, competitive driver, good driver, wins a race here and there. He's had some some moments, some incidents that uh, you know were his own faults, that uh, his own doing that didn't look good on him, and uh, certainly cost uh, Ferrari some points here and there. But I think he's more consistent and and faster than Sergio Perez. So how about that for for Ferrari? Uh, or sorry, for Red Bull, uh, Verstappen and uh, and uh, who did I say now? Carlos Sainz, of course. I'm just kidding. Anyways, uh, Mercedes. Now, that's an interesting one, right? So, Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion. We just talked about him just a couple of minutes ago. Still has the drive, still has the desire, still has that compulsive, competitive uh, urge to go out there and win races and championships and that uh, that whole good thing. You look at the the season that we had last year, right? Um he was much higher up in the championship than his teammate uh, George Russell the year before in 2022. Russell, his first season with uh, with, with Mercedes, was much better than Lewis at times. And, and and Lewis sometimes I questioned his desire in 2022. I, I I've, you know, do you remember that incident in uh, in Australia at the Australian Grand Prix of Melbourne that year that things weren't going well for for Lewis and you know this sort of deadpan voice comes over the radio and says, "Well, why can't we just uh, retire the car?" So that was kind of interesting, but uh, George, this uh, this season, not quite the same. What wasn't really pushing Lewis as much or as often, didn't really have the results uh, himself that he had the, the the previous year. And I know that uh, Mercedes had issues last year; the car wasn't the greatest, but they had less issues last year than they did with the car the uh, the, the the year before. So is that the best pairing that they could get? 
Good question. What uh, what would you do? Who would you move around uh, there? That that would be an interesting one because move uh, you know say let's let's put uh, Fernando and Lewis uh, together again. That didn't work once. Guaranteed, that's not going to work again. And certainly, you know maybe Lewis Hamilton isn't that same personality type as uh, Max Verstappen. So Max and Fernando, I think, would definitely start uh you know clashing with each other pretty quick but i i'm pretty convinced that lewis and fernando wouldn't get along uh again i think that would be a, a mutual thing as well russell i think you got to give him a chance to to come back and uh and try and do something uh re- rejuvenate himself that's not to say that i think that he's kind of on the cusp of uh not uh not continuing with the mercedes but i think he definitely wants to have a, d- a better year this year than last year so i'm kind of uh, okay with that pairing as it is um, if I look at uh, Ferrari now, um, obviously stick with uh, Leclerc just from the fact that he's got a new contract and Charles Leclerc is Charles Leclerc. I mean, it, it's obvious that this uh, this is a driver that's going to win races. I think that uh, this is a driver that if he has the car, he's going to win world championships as well. So you stick with Charles. But how about this? W- what about uh, switching him up with uh, with another driver too? Again, I'm not going to throw uh, Fernando Alonso in there. I don't think that would work. I mean, Fernando, also a former uh, Ferrari driver, that didn't work out. I mean, he walked away, I believe, from his contract uh, early uh, to go to McLaren. And that's when Sebastian Vettel came in. And Vettel did a little bit better at, uh, well, he did a lot better at Ferrari in that era than uh, than uh, maybe Fernando did. I mean, uh, don't really need to, to, to jump in that now. So uh, a combination of Ferrari of Charles and Fernando probably not going to to work. What what about something else? Uh, look at some of these other ones. What, what about Ricardo? Could you put Ricardo in there? What what about Esteban Ocon at Alpine? I mean, Alpine is a bit of a team that's uh, well been a bit of a disaster. They've been their own worst enemies. Talked about that with uh, about Ferrari being their own worst enemy. Alpine uh, struggling uh, at their own. Uh, at their own hands as well. So who would, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of people you could put in there uh, as well. What what about Alex Albon? Alex has uh, really sort of stepped things up uh, this past season at, uh, at, at Williams has really matured nicely. I mean, he obviously had a crack at Red Bull a couple of years ago in kind of all these revolving doors that we've seen with that second seat behind Max Verstappen. You had Alex Albon, then you had Pierre Gasly, you know, you had drivers kind of coming in and out, couldn't really get, get the job done. Then he settled on Sergio Perez. Looks like maybe he'll get it done, but then not uh, not really. I don't know. Uh, I, I might do uh, something uh, like that. Uh, looking at some of the other teams, you're not going to go through all of them, but um, let's take a look at Aston Martin now. you got Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll. You know, Lance, I don't know, he was pretty disappointing last year. I know he broke his hand before the beginning of the season. And just to me, he just, uh, didn't really get it done. I mean, he's had a lot of, uh, you know, chances now in Formula One. What, what about something like Fernando Alonso and uh, and Carlos Sainz? Now, that's an interesting one, right? Because uh, Carlos grew up watching Fernando, is a big fan of uh, Fernando, um, Fernando, a bit of a, you know, a little bit more of an intense pers- personality, although I feel like last year he seemed a lot more mellow, not quite as intense that, uh, that, that we've seen him over the years. And, uh, I, I think that would be an interesting dynamic with, uh, Fernando and Alonso and, uh, Carlos Sainz in the, in the same team, but kind of going through and, and just uh, addressing the, the second part to, uh, Luis's uh, question what would be the final standings? Who wins the, the, the driver's championship in, in this scenario? 
gosh, I mean, what, what are we basing that 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 on? Uh, depending which team that the, the, they end up with, and uh, are we just going all equal equipments, or based on the the equipment that the uh, the cars of the teams had last year? Boy, you know that that that's a hard one to kind of uh, call, right? I mean, uh, a Lewis Hamilton operating and racing at his uh, sort of peak. You know, do you count Lewis out even at uh, you know in his late thirties? I don't think so. Uh, Max Verstappen, you definitely don't count him out. Uh, Sergio, well, Sergio Perez, yeah, I think you count him out as a potential world champion. You know, I, I'm going to go for the for for the dark horse here. I mean, uh, well, why why don't we go with uh, Charles Leclerc? New new contract, motivated, wants to win with uh, Ferrari. So let's say all the cars are all of uh, equal uh, equal standing and uh, an equal uh, performance. Let, let's go with uh, Ferrari. I want I want to give somebody a little bit of a somebody different a, a shot at winning a championship. We've seen Lewis win a whole bunch over the last decade. We've seen Max win a whole bunch over the past couple of years. So just on the uh, on uh, on that note, just to be a little bit different, I'm just going to go with uh, with uh, with uh, Charles Leclerc would uh, win, or I'd like to see him win at that uh, at that case. So great question, thank you for uh, very much for that, uh, Luis. So the uh, the second one comes from uh, Matt Bradley at Matt J Brad nine ten. Uh, the question is, if you had to change how F1 hands out points at the end of the race, what would you change and why? Now, I started watching Formula One in an era when they were much uh, different from now, but I'm looking at the evolution of the points going back as early as 1962, where you had uh, nine points for the winner, six for second, fourth for third, uh, third for fourth, two for uh, fifth, and one for sixth. And that stayed very much uh, the, the same from 1962 all the way up until the 19, the end of the 1990 season. So your first six cars got all the points and it just uh, stayed that way uh, from uh, for, for the decade going from uh, 91 to 2002. Again, only the top six uh, cars got points. We had 10 for first, six for second, fourth for third, third for uh, fourth, two for fifth, and one for sixth. Uh, in uh, 2003 to 2009, they expanded that up to points going all the way down to eighth place, but still you only got 10 points uh, for, for a win. So starting in 2010 up until 2018, uh, we saw an expansion going from well, basically what we have now is uh, starting in 2010, 2019, it changed a little bit because we got a, an extra point for, for the fastest lap of the race. Anyway, starting in 2010, we had uh, 25 points for first, 18 for second, 15 for third, 12 for fourth, uh, 10 for fifth, and then going 8, 6, 4, 2, and 1 point for the 10th the place. And then uh, in, uh, when we've got the fastest lap, that single point for the fastest lap, that got introduced in, uh, in, in 2019. So, you know, to, to answer the question, I don't know if it uh, necessarily needs to, to, to be changed or new points uh, to uh, be added in. You know, maybe one thing I might do is maybe give a little bit more points for the fastest lap. Now, that doesn't always mean that the the, the driver that's winning the championship or is leading the race is going to be that driver that scores that uh, single point for the fastest lap of the race. You know, it is, like I say, it's only one point. And uh, it's not always Max. It's not always Lewis or whoever's uh, leading the race or leading the championship. 
sometimes, you know, you have uh, drivers that are on a worn rubber, maybe a harder compound or something like that. And you see somebody go in on the penultimate lap of the race and then put on soft tires, go warm them up and just put in a real hot, hot lap right at the end to steal that point. So when it comes to like the points paying positions one through 10, I think I'm pretty cool with the way that uh, those are organized right now. I don't really see any need or feel any need to switch those up. But maybe if anything, I would like to to maybe add a little bit more weight to that uh, that fastest lap uh, points. Why not make it fastest lap points? Where where do we want to go? Certainly not uh, not anything more than you know ten points or something. That would be a little bit crazy. But it, it's it's interesting, right? Because you know the tenth and final points uh, paying position is, is one. And they've kind of based that on, I assume that you don't want to give uh, out points for the fastest lap any more than you could for the, uh, you know, the points paying uh, positions. So, I mean, if you get to say you made it five points, you know, when you look at the, the, the points that seventh and eighth, you get, uh, you get six points uh, for seven and four points for eighth. But if you made it five points, you know, that, that makes it kind of uh, interesting. Right. Um, but again, I guess there's a potential if you get like a Max or a Lewis or somebody dominating the season that they too could go and throw down that fastest lap and just open a gap even more at the front in their championship lead. So maybe there's maybe there's no simple way to do it, but why not? Maybe not make it uh, five points, but say, why not make it uh, two or three? That uh, certainly could make it fun. The thing is that, um, like I said, I, I like the point formats, uh, one through 10, like the fastest lap. I thought it was gimmicky when it first came out, but I've come to to, to accept it and uh, it's fine that, uh, that, that it's in there. But yeah, I'd be willing to experiment uh, with it, uh, you know, maybe give it two points or three points or something, see how that kind of uh, shakes out. I wouldn't, like I say, want it to a point where there, there's too many points available and it just helped uh, somebody pad uh, an already outrageously big lead at the front of the championship. Uh, and I'm looking at you, Max. <laughs> Not, uh, you know, that that's just the way it is. I mean, uh, why make it uh, or put a situation in there when somebody like a, like a Max or a Lewis or whoever is dominating the championship and, uh, you know, put out uh, more points for them to to, to grab and make a, an unassailable lead even, uh, even bigger at the front. But uh, great question. And uh, thank you so very much uh, for that. Anyhow, going to wrap it up there. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to get in touch, get in touch on X at ScooterF1Pod. Uh, send us an email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. I haven't checked that in a little while, so if you sent me an email there, apologies. I will jump in and do that and uh, get back to you or read it out on the air. And um, if you want to do us a big favor, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. If you enjoy the show, share it with a friend and leave us a five-star rating and review. That uh, would be uh, wonderful. And uh, we're grateful for for all those reviews and ratings and comments. And uh, certainly it uh, makes us feel good uh, that we're doing something that you all enjoy and uh, find value in. And uh, it's a fun part of the show is uh, interacting with all you guys and uh, and uh, and getting some love back in return. Anyways, going to leave it there. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, like I said, 36 days until the first Grand Prix of the year. So not quite time to start uh, maybe watching the second hand on the clock tick by, but we're getting close and next week we'll be even closer. And until then, have a great weekend. Take care and talk to you soon. Bye for now.